Make money sailing, charter business. It's about the only way I could ever figure out how to make money. Although there wasn't a lot of money to be made, but there was some money to be made. I could title this entire thing, Voyages That Never End. There are some important turns and sort of important moments. I mean, first of all, sailing as a young boy with my grandfather uh, set me on the sailor's way. That is, that was important. Buying my first boat, Steppenwolf, when I was 15 instead of buying a car, um, which I documented in the podcast Casket Salesman. My military experience, which I've alluded to off and on. Um, my time away from the water while I went to school, got married, divorced, etc., etc., etc. I was basically a domestic tragedy. The inflection points in my life as a sailor started as I documented in uh, my first captain's gig. Um, young guy out sailing, nice big old Hinkley, um, doing the Pacific eight times across, lots of trips, lots of voyages, everything. Um, I got to learn from somebody that uh, was very generous with his money and his time, and um, I had a perfect, perfect boat to do that on. But in the process of that, I've also written a few films and made some dough from those. So in, it was in 1976, and I was running a cruise boat in New York Harbor. I'm sure you've seen these big, giant, white cruise boats. And I had a full boat of 141 passengers, plus 30 waiters and chefs, and four actual crew. It was the bicentennial celebration, so it was July 4th, 1976. And I was positioning the boat in the middle of the Hudson River to watch the fireworks. I was surrounded by boats in the middle of the river, and I was very, very busy maintaining my station, running from the port side steering station to the starboard side steering station, I saw the fireworks basically reflected in the glass of the World Trade Centers. I really loved my job. And I loved writing as well. And this is where there is tension. And now this is going to be something that I think everybody who wants to ditch the land life, you have a set of skills, you have skills that you probably like, and you want to take off and go sailing but you're trying to find out how those skills can translate into being able to make money as a vagabond, so to speak, going from country to country or living in another country. You know, can, can, are you a good carpenter? Or are you good with engines? Or, you know, you good sailmaker, whatever the case may be. Because those types of jobs are going to be occupied when you get there by somebody who's been long established because they came up with the idea a long time ago you can get money, but you're not going to have anything really thriving. It's going to take time. And if you have the time, you can do it. But my tension was in my writing. So I had written a few movies. And I was running back and forth on the bridge, going from the starboard to the port steering station. And I kept looking up at the towers, and I kept thinking of all the people that were on the boat there was a bunch of celebrities, and I just, I didn't want to, even though I loved the job, and I was in my prime working years, and I was getting paid very well, the tension between the allure of the sea and the grind of the paycheck began to cause me problems. At this time in my life, the job of captain was becoming a grind. I didn't want to go another day without traveling. So I made the decision that night that I wouldn't be the supporting cast in somebody else's movie. That I would go out and I would do what I want to do. After all, I only have one life to live. So later that fall, after coming to this conclusion and saving as much money as possible, I ended up actually sleeping on the boat for about two months, which you're not allowed to do, but I was the captain in charge, so I was sneaking on and sneaking off. I got a job delivering a sailboat to the Caribbean. 
Later that fall, I delivered a sailboat to the Caribbean. So it's September 1976. And I returned to America some 26 years later. I was a different man with a different outlook on life. I was back working as a captain and I was writing for Hollywood until it came to the point where I just wrote for films and TV. And I was sort of off the boat, but on the boat, owned a boat, boat, boat. There's a time in every boat owner's life that he has to assess his boat and his situation. There are a lot of factors that go into this important decision at times, especially when you have a boat that's a little bit older. And as many of you know, after listening to my podcasts, I often delve into the meaning and the symbolism of the sailing life. I like to draw lessons that I've learned for the listener to think about, to ponder, and maybe act on. But I also believe that stories can open up a many-faceted porthole into understanding your life and what life is all about. But the fact remains, you need to earn some income while traveling if you're going to do it for an extensive period of time. And you have to sustain your life in some way. Uh, Unless, of course, you're rich, in which case you could do all the stuff that you want to do. And you don't have to work for a living. But I chose to start a chartering business. And that decision was an inflection point that lasted 26 years. And here's how it started. When I arrived in the Caribbean, uh, delivering this boat, I was in St. Thomas, Charlotte, Mali. And some friends of mine that I'd come down on the boat had hooked me up with a couple of other captains that were looking for um, a captain or looking for a mate. Now, I didn't mind working as a mate, and it was the charter business was the business. And I had no experience in the charter business other than running, you know, large tour boats, which is not really the charter business at all. So the charter business requires a lot of different types of skills. And so I needed to learn some things about it. So I took a job and I was a mate but I also was a captain. I was, had a captain's license, and, and, and the girl who was in charge of the boat didn't have a captain's license, but she was the chef, and she was the boss, basically. Um, she had had a relationship with a person who had a captain's license and the boat, and he had passed away. And so she had the boat and a charter business that was pretty good. And um, she just needed a licensed captain to act as a mate so it was a little bit, oh, quote-unquote, humbling. I could, you know, I wasn't playing captain. She was the captain, and all of that was made very clear. In those first days of working as a mate, and people who know me know that um, I'm an extremely hard worker. Um, I know a lot of things, and I know, you know, I can be entertaining when I want to be. Um, but in this job, I was pretty well corralled into just being the mate. You know, getting drinks, getting that beer for the guy, you know, hauling the sails, hauling the anchor, doing this, doing that, um, supporting her cooking. Um, she, her, her name was Ruth. Um, we had the, op- I had the opportunity with her to, to do the run from St. Thomas uh, into the British Virgin Islands and to do the whole British Islands, uh, Virgin Islands tour you know, all the hot spots and foxies and where the dive spots were. And, you know, you can only be here for lunchtime on this mooring and people can dive off of here. And then we have to move over off of Peter's Island. And, you know, just, you know, Virgin Gorda, we always want to show up on Virgin Gorda on a Wednesday. All of these details um, require because you're bringing a guest and the guest wants to know that, Hey, you know what you're doing and you know where you're going. And a lot of times they'll ask you some, you know, crazy stuff. Like, can we go diving for lobster? You know, sure. I know where we can go diving for lobster. I've done it a hundred times. You know, let's take them out diving for lobster. And 
other things. You know, they want to go to the baths. They want to see certain things. Um, they want to go drinking. They want to go dancing. And this area, the British Virgin Islands, is really attuned to all of that. So you can, you can, you can be at the, uh, you can be at Roses at the Bath and Turtle. You know, on on Wednesday nights where they have a live band. You know, you can take, you can go into the dock, um, dock your boat for a night. You know, it's going to cost X, and this is all important. The cost X, Y, and Z is important to, you know, to the guests, so they know how much they're spending, and you know how much you know, you're spending as far as that's concerned. You know, you know where to go and pick up water. So chartering is, you know, not just making a beautiful meal for some people that just drop by your boat and serving to them and telling them stories over drinks. It's a lot more than that. The first thing you have to do is you have to choose the right boat. Now, when I said before that you know, I made the decision to, to buy a boat, and then I made the decision to quit chartering. I quit chartering after my boat had become too old. And you have to understand that there's a network of charter brokers. Mostly the charter brokers do a really good job of getting clients, etc. But they're sort of kitchen table salespeople. You know, they like to come down and to the boat shows, which is very important. You have to have your boat ready for the boat shows. But I'm leading up to the type of boat you have to, to get. You can't go with just a little mom and pop small boat. If you have something that's 54 feet, you're really honestly kind of at the bottom of the charter boat business. And that's a crude charter boat business. And crude is very important because there's a lot of bareboat charters, okay? And people can go bareboat and they can go do a, their own thing. That's great. That's not going to help you travel and live and be where you want to be. So you got to choose a boat, I would say, 55, 60 feet minimum. Uh, now I know a lot of you are saying, well, if I wanted to get a boat that was 75 or 80 feet... I'd have to take a mortgage out. Well, this is the business, folks. This is the business part. Yeah, you'll have to take a mortgage out on the boat if you want something big. But see, here's the way it works. It's almost exponential. You know, when I, and let me explain some of the costs right off the bat. When I first started in the business, my insurance for the boat, now I had a CT-54, and my insurance for that boat and I was considered a moderate, medium-sized boat. Um, today, the boats have just gotten bigger. The bigger the boat, the more money you can ask, okay? And everything is exponential. You'll get more charters if, they're, if you're fairly reasonably priced compared to the other people um, that have boats of the same size. So a lot of that's going to fall down to how charming you are, whether people like you. You know, if you don't have a lot of friends and most people think you're a jerk or an asshole, this is not the business for you. It is not the business for you. If you only think about yourself, okay, and you don't lift a hand to help other people, it's not the business for you, all right? You got to be very accommodating. You're a floating bed and breakfast. You're the concierge. You're the hotel manager. You're the guy, all right? You've got to be nice, charming, accommodating, and all over the boat, okay? Plus, you got to have the experience to sail the boat, and you have to have the experience of where to go. Now, I know I'm mounting a lot of stuff up on you as you're thinking about this, but let's get back to what the boat is. So the boat itself, okay, we're talking about how much is it going to cost to cover the nut on the boat, all right? If you take, let's say you get a 70, 75-foot boat, fairly new, okay? And you're going to be able to get fifteen, twenty, maybe $35,000 a week on that charter, okay? You're going to end up making probably half, 50%, maybe more, okay? There'll be tips involved. There'll be crew, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There'll be costs like fuel. This is in the Caribbean. It kind of is an all-inclusive package. 
If you're in the Mediterranean, especially the Eastern Med, everything is extra. People pay for your fuel. People pay for their meals. They pay for their dockage. They pay for everything. So it's a little bit different pricing structure. So the thing that's important to remember is that there's a good chance you're going to make a decent chunk of money on one charter. Okay? We'll just leave it at that. Okay? You got your broker's fee that's going to come out of it also. So let's look at what it's going to cost you to run the boat. Let's say I use my boat as an example. Um, back in the day, I was getting $11,000 a week for charter. Okay? Out of that $11,000, it cost me about $3,500 to actually run the boat, provide the food, fuel, dockage, everything that was included into the entire package. And I had to pay my, my chef, which I paid, you know, a reasonably good wage. At the time, I was paying like five to 800 plus tips. So the tips can be pretty healthy. Don't get me wrong. The tips can be pretty healthy. So that's what, that's what we did. And so there was a lot of cash. Everything comes as cash or traveler's checks, by the way. Half goes to the broker um, that is, gets sent to you um, to prep the boat. And then when they arrive, they bring the cash and sign everything over before you leave the dock. So you have the full charter monies in your pocket before you leave. After that, you have the overall costs. Let's say you have a mortgage on a boat. Let's say your boat is 900000 Well, with interest rates today, which are really quite low, now would be a good time to buy to buy a, a million-dollar boat. It's like buying a million-dollar house. So that's going to cost you, you know, four or $5,000, okay? And, and it, in terms of, of what the, the actual, well, the mortgage probably is going to cost you about two and a half to $3,000 a month, easy, okay? So if you do one charter a month, okay, you've basically kind of sucked up a good part of your profit, now your insurance, and insurance always gets me. Um, I started out getting, we had a, um, a charter boat captain's association in which we negotiated to buy insurance for our boats. So we got the basic insurance, the basic, uh, you know, if it sank, et cetera, all of that business. We had charter boat, what they call charter boat insurance, which covered, you know, somebody getting sick off of one of your meals or choking, um, it covered toys. It covered just about everything. And we were paying, I was paying about $70 a month. And in the space of about two years, I went from $2 or $70 a month. And it went from, what was it, $70 a month? It went up to $240 a month for just the liability for a million dollar liability policy. And you have to have this policy because they won't charter you if you don't. That's something you have to show. You gotta have your papers, ship's papers, and a liability insurance. And something that says in your waiver for your insurance that you can charter the boat. That's, that could be a discussion at another time. So anyway, let's say you're, you get, in my case, I was getting 11,000. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, I ended up with about 3000 bucks in my pocket for the whole charter, okay? And that's a week of chartering with people that you don't know, some of which you like and most of which you kind of can't stand. That's why I probably should have named this podcast The Voyage It Never Ends because when you charter, it is so much work. It's so much work, and you have to be smiley all the time. Yeah, and don't listen to these people that you see on YouTube or television, you know, um, and how charmed they look and how untired they look because everybody's exhausted when you charter a boat. And I have chartered not only my boat, which was a CT-54, I have chartered... Um, big mega yachts, 160 foot mega yachts and all the rest. And it's all the same. I'm always the same exhaustion. 
So choosing the right boat's important and fitting that nut in there and then researching exactly what you think you're going to be able to get for this boat. Now the question becomes is how many charters do I need to get to cover my nut, put a little bit of money in my pocket in a year? Now you have to understand that the season is really running from December, first part of December. I usually think about the Antigua Boat Show um, as the as the launching point for my Caribbean season. And then you're going to do Christmas, you're going to do New Year's, you're going to have probably a week in January, another week or two in February. March will be spring break, you'll get families down for doing that. And then April will roll around and then you have Antigua. All right. By May, June, July, you will not have very much of anything. August, you won't have anything. And you're in the Caribbean. This is all hurricane season. So you're going to be, you know, you can do charters. Don't get me wrong. You can do charters. And, and the few years that I didn't go to Europe with the boat, I stayed and I did day charters. I did hotel charters. And that's a whole nother game that you have to play. But that's how you can make money. But the most important part of it is you have to be reasonably priced and your boat has to be really nice. And when I mean really nice, it has to be Bristol. Okay? It's got to have some decoration inside. It's got to have all the sheets Okay, no holes, just clean, beautiful, beautiful, comfortable, brand new type of sheets. You have to have all the pillowcases. You have to have all the towels, variety of different towels. You need towels for the bathroom. You need towels for on deck. You need towels for the beach. You need towels, you need tons of towels, washcloths, all all of this stuff. And it adds up money-wise. Trust me, it really adds up fast. Okay. You have to look at your silverware. You have to look at your plates. How? What are you going to serve a meal on? Okay, a lot of people, I say, oh, yeah, yeah, we got plastic plates. We're going to do that. If you come out with plastic plates on a charter that you're charging somebody fifteen to $25,000 a week, they're going to be very disappointed. They don't want plastic plates. They don't want plastic cups. Okay, unless, of course, it's drink cups for you know, rum or whatever the case may be. No, they went glassware. They went, they went proper settings, proper silverware. All of this costs money. Then you have to consider what you can cook and what your chef is going to need. The types of pots, the types of pans. Are you going to have something special where maybe you need a steamer for this? Um, are you going to think about deep fat frying? I, I knew a, a boat, charter boat that had a deep fat fryer on it. I couldn't believe on a boat that you would have a deep fat fryer. But actually, it turned out to be a pretty kind of cool thing for them. So this is something that you have to really consider. You know, what to do, how to do it, why to do it. All of these things add up. Then let's talk about the next step. So you bought your boat, all right? Let's say you bought yourself, let's say you bought yourself a like a 60-foot Beneteau, all right? And which is a nice boat. It's a good little charter boat. There's going to be two of you on it. You can do charters up to six people, okay? And you're going to get a reasonable $15,000, $20,000 a week kind of charter thing. Maybe a little less, a little more, depends on where you are region-wise. So you have all of that. You're going to have to also have a dinghy. Now, you can't have one of these collapsible dinghies. you got to have a real dinghy. Because the dinghy is going to be, you're going to be taking people into shore every day, every night to go party. They're going to have to get in the boat and come back. You're going to be using the dinghy for entertainment. In some cases, water skiing. Our dinghy, we use for water skiing all the time. And we had a big 50-horse Honda on the back of it. And it was a great little water ski boat. It was a Novarina. And it was just, you know, it was it was a delicious little boat. and uh, But you could go water skiing. You could pull a donut behind it. You got to remember, you got to think, you're going to have kids. You're going to have teenagers. You're going to have adults. Okay? 
So everybody's going to have something different. So the toys for a charter boat, you know, are you going to have kayaks? I had kayaks on, I had windsurfers on my boat first. And I never windsurfed before. And I got, so I had to teach myself how to windsurf. And it was pretty comical, you know, going windsurfing and then having to have my mate come pick me up when I was a half a mile downwind um, because I'd fallen over so, so many times. But I eventually got rid of the windsurfers because nobody could really master it. They spent more time in the water. Um, Ruth, Ruth would step off the boat on top of the board and pull the, pull the wind uh, surfer sail in and she would just go off and go sail around, then come back and she would step back on the boat, never get her hair wet. And I could never understand how she could do it, but she was she had great balance and she was really good doing stuff like that. And it, everybody loved it. But the windsurfer thing was kind of out of the idea. But what a lot of charter boats will do is, you know, if you have room to stow something like this, they'll do the windsurfer. Now, of course, there's a lot of people like to do paddleboard. So you can come out, you can have a paddleboard. And they're big-ass things, these paddleboards, to put on your boat. So they're going to be on deck. They're going to be probably tied to your safety lines, okay? What are you going to do? People want it. Another thing that people um, like to do, and I did this for a number of years, is dive charters. Dive charters, we used to go do a lot. I used to do a lot of dive charters, and... I think there wasn't anything I've done in my life that I thought was going to kill me more than dive charters. Lifting tanks up and down off the boat, especially I had a very high freeboard on the uh, CT. Um, lifting tanks up out of that dinghy and on board and then cranking up a compressor that I had very little room for the compressor to put compressed, you know, to press the air into them, to refill the tanks. Most of the times I, I bought extra tanks so I wouldn't have to run the compressor. Keeping the equipment all up to shape, you know, it was it was a lot of work. Today in, say, in um, the Virgin Islands, if your customers want to go diving, you can call on the radio on a dive boat that's set up to do it will come by and they will they will pick them up. They will take them diving for an afternoon and bring them back. And you don't have to worry about it. They have all the responsibility. But if you're going to do something like dive charters, well, I had a I had a master's license in diving so that I could be there with these amateurs and make sure they don't kill themselves or drown or get eaten by a shark, which would actually be rare but funny. So let's recap quick. You got to have a fairly new boat. You got to have a boat that's attractive, something that somebody's going to really want to go on. The bigger the boat, the more people, the more money you can charge. You have a host of things that you have to buy. Now, if you have, say, a 70 foot boat, chances are there's going to be four crew. Okay, so everything is exponentially more expensive. So you're going to have the captain, which probably be yourself. Um, you would have a chef, okay? You would have a first mate, and then you would have uh, somebody helping out, a girl helping out. Um, I ran a boat many, many years ago called Pepillon for, for a brief minute. And the people that were running the boat were a couple, and they hired another couple who was the first mate. And she was like a stewardess. So she, in the morning, the process is that people get up. Oh, hi, I'm up. They go up on deck. Stewardess goes in, changes all the bed, you know, cleans everything up, sorts out the room, makes it pretty again, you know, or makes the bed. We usually change the sheets um, like on Wednesday. If we picked them up on a Sunday, we'd change Wednesday. Um, and sometimes, you know, there were accidents or people say, could you change my sheets? Yes. You have to have backups for all of this kind of stuff. So that's what the steward is to do. If you're going to have a boat where there's only going to be two of you as the captain, chef slash stewardess, you could, you're going to have to help her out in every way you possibly can and watch your guests 
and be there for when your guests want to go. Hey, can we go over to that island? Can we see that rock? Can we go snorkeling around that rock? And you have to take them snorkeling. Get them in the get them in the dinghy. Take them snorkeling. Watch them. Teach them. So here's another thing: if you're going to do this and you're thinking about it, you you got to be skilled as a charter boat captain. And I give I give great credit to charter boat captains. Not only do they have to sail the boat, they have to maintain the boat. Generally speaking, while they're working. Okay, they get time off. But every day that you get time off in the charter business, it's like exhaustion. There's always shit to fix. All right. Um, not only that, you know, you've got your your generator. Okay, it's something you use a lot. Do you have air conditioning? Will you have air conditioning on the boat? How much are you going to use the air conditioning? Um, do you have a water maker? Um, which I do recommend a water maker because I didn't have a water maker for a few years. They weren't. They really weren't very good, and they were very expensive. Finally, they kind of get better, and the price came down. And I ended up using the um, the water maker a lot. Um, people usually will drink bottled water, and that's what you have to provide is bottled water for everybody. But to wash the boat, to take showers, etc., that's it's really great. Um, there's pumps um, that you have to attend to. There's hair there's toilets get clogged i mean you have to be able to do all of this stuff and be able to do it on the fly okay this is what's really really important so these are just a couple of the small things that you have to be able to do you have to be a good swimmer you have to have make sure that you're your Coast Guard license is up to date because you can't charter without a Coast Guard license. A hundred ton, okay? Um, a six-pack license isn't going to fly in the charter business, okay? All that says is it doesn't say much of anything, but get a hundred ton, 150 ton. Ideally, the best thing to do is a 500 ton. You can you can drive just about anybody's charter boat with a 500 ton. That's that's really a good that's a good license. I was lucky because I had a fifteen hundred ton license, and that came from me working on bigger vessels and commercial vessels, and I got the time in. So this is what's that's important too. Not only that, be up on your first aid. You got to have really good first aid kit. People do all kinds of stupid shit. Okay, I have had people hit their head, right, and just about drive themselves unconscious. I've had people cut themselves, all right? They brought their own dive knife with them, and they end up cutting their leg or something. You know, medical facilities aren't around everywhere. It's not like you could run down to the hospital, down at the corner. You have to be able to, you know, sew somebody up. A very good friend of mine, um, a Swedish girl, she lost her finger. She got a caught in an anchor chain, and um, it, it was a freak accident, and um, should have never happened, but it did, and it was weird how it happened, but um, it, she lost her finger, went overboard. And there's a lot of other things. Um, sometimes people will drink too much, and that's another thing. You end up getting your um, your bar stocked in your boat. Now, for me, I had two settees, and in those settees, they were loaded. One side was wine, and the other side was alcohol. And I had every kind of alcohol that you could possibly imagine. And one of the funny things about the whole charter business is charter brokers will send a... Uh, letter, a form t- for the guests to fill out to say, okay, what do you like? What don't you like? Etc. 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 And they always list the drinks like, hey, yeah, I like Coors Light. All right, fine, we can get Coors Light. Or you know, they like this, you know, um, apple brandy or this kind of tequila, or they want this kind of scotch or or, you know, like a high-end Glenlivet, or whatever the case may be. 
So you're responsible for kind of buying this stuff and having it on board. Now, I've bought untold number of bottles of, you know, weird wines and weird alcohols and brandies and all kinds of stuff. And the people end up just just like, do you have that? And they go, yeah, well, I don't want it. I want something else. And then they end up, you know, drinking, you know, rum and, and, and juice. Um, and they don't do anything with the other stuff. So it's kind of weird like that. Um, anyway, I ended up with a massive collection of um, bottles of, of alcohol that I could make almost every drink that you wanted to ponder. And tons of scotches, tons of bourbons, um, vodkas, and rums. A lot of rums, okay? Juices. So there's all this kind of stuff. Another thing you have to pay attention to is refrigeration. Most people are going to charter. They're going to charter in warm climates, like in the Caribbean. Um, if you charter, you know, you can charter up in the summer. Um, up in Nantucket is a great place to charter up there. Um, the Bay of Maine, another great place to charter. And there's places, that's just the, you know, the West Coast. But there's plenty of other really, or East Coast, I'm sorry. But there's plenty of other really great locations. But a lot of them are, you know, can be pretty warm places. So refrigeration is key. How you store food, that's key. All of this stuff is very, very important. And as the captain and owner of this boat, you've got to be on top of this stuff, Okay. Let's look at another thing that you might you might have to do if you're buying a boat, let's say 60, 70 feet, whatever the case may be, 80. Um, you're going to need a bimini. You're going to need to build something, okay? A lot of these fancy race boats, and you see all the pictures in the magazines, they don't have anything covering the cockpit area because they want to see the sails because they're racers. They're, doing, they're going to do this. But look, you don't need to be a rocket science scientists to know that if you're out in the Caribbean in the hot sun all day, okay, you, you're not, you're not going to last. The sun's too intense. You'll get burned up. You'll get heat stroke, all sorts of things. Put a bimini up. Everybody will appreciate the shade. And in fact, most of the time that I, at 26 years and most of it in, you know, sailing in the Caribbean, I spent a majority of my time down below. You know, when we were off and we were at a little anchorage somewhere and I was doing some work on the boat or, you know, recovering or whatever the case may be, we always had the bimini up. Always had a tent available for the entire boat so we could tent the whole boat, keep it cool. And I spent most of the time downstairs. You know, it was my living room. It was my kitchen. So... Like a lot of people, we love to sit in the kitchen and talk. And that's what we did. We sat in the kitchen and talked. We didn't sit in the cockpit very much. Now when we sail and the people come out and the kids are you know, on the boat and this and the thing, yeah, you're in the cockpit when you're sailing. But when you're not sailing, you know, you can't sit in the cockpit when, you know, it's 90 degrees on your head and bright sunny in the Caribbean. <laughs> You'd be fried. So this is a little bit of what you have to deal with, you know, I've had everything, I've had everything break down. I'll say that right off the bat. I've had everything break down. My rigging, I had problems with my rigging. I snapped the um, boom to the stasel, snapped it right off the end. It was a wood, wood boom, um, beautifully made, and it snapped. It was old. Couldn't see the, the rot. It was full of varnish on the back, outside. It would look really beautiful. It snapped. I had to put that thing together. There wasn't, you know, no, like, going and get out my shipyard and, you know, get to the shipyard and have somebody make it. When you're in the charter business and you're doing your boat, you're not going to do that. You're going to take your boat to the yard maybe once a year, maybe once every other year. And you're going to do everything you need to do that's big-ass shit. And that's what you're going to do. Especially, like, do the bottom. Otherwise, you're going to keep the boat running. you got to keep the boat running. So I had to fix a boom. I had to repair sails. We're all used to that, but I've repaired a lot of sails. 
I've had a lot of new sales I had to buy. A lot of lines. Exploding blocks. of Every kind of block I've had. Harken blocks. You name it. All broken. One way or the other. I had to replace them. Replace my lines a lot. Um, I did it about every... Because we use... You know, we're sailing. You have to understand, I'm, I'm literally on the boat 52 weeks out of the year. And out of that 52 weeks, I'm doing 20 to 26 charters, um, which is 20 to 26 weeks of charter. And then I'm making two crossings. I'm going all the way across the Atlantic from the Caribbean to Turkey and Greece, and then turning around and coming all the way back. So your lines get chafed, they get worn, they get stretched, they get stiff, they get whatever. Lines are probably good under that kind of stress for about two years, and then they have to be replaced. Your engine requires an awful lot of attention. But the one thing I will say about having a charter business and a boat with an, and, 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 and an engine, a diesel engine in your charter boat, is that the more you run that sucker, the happier it is. Really, truly happier it is. I never had a problem with my engine. It was a Ford Lehman six-cylinder. Never had a problem. I had a, um, as I said in one of my podcast stories, I had a, a heat exchanger break, filled the engine up with water. Um, I got it all taken out, added more, just kept going. She ran like a charm. It's a tractor engine, for goodness sake. All right? So there's, you know, there's no use in getting your panties in a twist about it. Clean it out. Put fresh oil in it. Run it. Run it for a while. Go put some more fresh oil in it. All right? That's just how it works. So my, my engine ran great. Um, I think in 20-some-odd years, I actually had the... Um, Piston rings changed um, just because she was smoking a little bit. And um, the cylinders themselves were actually good. There's just that the, the piston, the rings were starting to get worn. So um, as a preventative um, thing, I go ahead and I changed them. But outside of that, I, I think I also changed the injectors maybe three times. You know, I always had spare gen, um, injectors. They're very easy to change. Um, and you can tell when they're starting to get bad and, you know, get a, you're burning excess diesel or you're not, one of the cylinders isn't working because um, it's clogged. But yeah, that's, um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, things to keep your engine up. Generator's a whole different game. Um, it, it has, certainly it runs a lot more, especially when you have guests on board. Um, you can't really be running your generator, um, at night in a lot of anchorages. Um, I know when I was in Turkey, they used to get the, the Goulette captains used to get really upset with me about running my generator, um, because it was, um, the, the anchorage was so quiet and they didn't have generators and they were just kind of pissed at you. You can't run that. It's against the law, blah, blah, blah. Of course, you could run it if you wanted to, but you weren't making friends. But then again, you know, it was like 90 degrees at night in the summer, so you were a little bit <laughs> wasted as far as that's concerned. And, the, you know, most of the guests, they don't give a fuck about what this other guy in the nether anchorage is doing. Just run that air conditioner. So you end up adding a lot of hours to your generator. So in your calculations, you're going to figure your generator is, you know, your generator is going to be replaced at least every three years. And don't go cheap on generators. You know, get as much power as you can, can afford or fit in your boat. Another area is batteries. Um, you know, I, I went to the large golf cart, golf cart batteries, the G, um, the gel cell um, uh, 8Ds. Um, I had um, eight of those and a starter battery on a separate line. And um, they cost me a pretty penny to put in. Um, they did really, really well um, and saved a lot of my generator time. 
um, because there was so much juice in those things. And it could, the gels, you could run all the way down to the bottom, and then they will take a charge and fill right back up. Um, your wet cells won't do that. They'll, they'll die after a couple of months. But as long as they're being used, they're being exercised. Um, another thing you would check for your boat is uh, if you're a charter boat and you're going to be running a lot of stuff, um, you're probably going to need a big alternator. And you're going to need an alternator that's going to pump a lot of juice. And you're going to need an alternator that's going to run uh, for a long time without having to be touched. Um, because it's going to have to fill up those big-ass batteries all the time. So that's a kind of important thing. Be prepared every year, two years, three years they may go or begin working on a, a, a little bit of a reduced um, output. Um, I found that they, that they ran, but you didn't get peak performance out of them after a while. It's very interesting. So there's just some of the things you're going to have to calculate into your um, wanting to be a charter boat captain. And the thing about it is once you commit to being in the charter business, um, you want to be able to do some weeks, okay? Because the irony is if you're not doing the weeks, um, you're going to get really nervous. Um, girlfriends or charter boat, you know, girls... Uh, they're going to come and they're going to cook for you and all the rest of this kind of stuff. And same for the guys. It's just, you know, if you're sitting around idle, it's not, it's not good. Lots of stupid shit happens. Um, I'll get into more about the charter boat business in terms of the interpersonal relationships in a business. Um, because it's kind of an important thing. It's important to have a certain team and to present yourself as a team of professionals. Okay. That doesn't mean that if you're, uh, that you're going to get drunk with the guests every night. Okay. Um, that whole Captain Ron stuff is sweet. It's, it's funny. I love the movie. I love the Captain Ron idea. Um, there are certain Captain Rons, but it's no way for you to run a business. And it's no way to run a business if you're going to be super strict, British, upper lip, you know, tea service, etc. Um, because that's a different kind of charter. And this is something that you're going to have to decide what kind of charter you want to do. Now, chartering is, as a business is a bit unfair. Because here's the problem. You've got a boat... You're working your butt to keep the boat up. And don't get me wrong, it costs a lot of money to keep maintaining a boat, especially when you're using it all the time. And ironically, the more you use it, the less it's going to cost than if it was sitting in, in a slip somewhere in, the, say, the Chesapeake. But your boat is getting old. So there's a window for which you're, you can be in your boat. Now, if you have a classic, an old classic like Eleonora or some kind of classic boat like that, that's a different class of boat. Those are just classic. Alejandra, Adela, these are just, these are magnificent vessels that, you know, are, they're just in a different class. All right. But if you have, if, if you have a 1978 Beneteau 50 that was in the charter business before, bare boat charter business before you bought it, and now it's 2020, it's 30-year-old boat, you're not going to get a lot of money for it, for the charter. It just, it just, it's just not going to happen. Because the brokers, they like new. They like new, they like, like different. Um, they like the, the decorating to be really upscale. Now, I know that I redid the inside of my boat in 26 years probably eight times. Eight times for sure. Um, I would ch I would change one thing or another. Um, you know, whether I did the salon or whether I changed all the cushions, um, whether I recovered everything in the dining room, um, new curtains, uh, lots of different things. And if you get a boat and it's got old electronics, you're going to want to upgrade your electronics. So if you're sitting there with a pen and pencil and you're waiting for me to give you a number, 
know this, the number's just going to keep growing, okay? I mean, I I started out uh, with a little handheld GPS, and this is when GPS was just getting on, just becoming back in the 70s, late 70s, early 80s. It was just starting, okay? And I was lucky to get a reading on my GPS, um, you know, once every four or five hours, but it was very nice, okay? And then... I went into a bigger GPS and a chart plotter and a, a um, auto helm and a radar and all of these things. And they all had to be upgraded. The, my auto helm operated on a pump with a DC motor and it would go and it would move a hydraulic arm, which the hydraulic arm uh, moved the rudder. And it worked brilliant. But, um, you know, eventually it, it gets worn out. You got to replace it. And it didn't cost very much. It was like a couple of hundred bucks. But it's, you know, when are you going to replace it? Where is it going to come in? I was running another boat, another sailboat. I had to replace the bow thruster on it. It was a 90-foot boat. It had a bow thruster. And I ended up having, actually, I bought it from some sort of Russian guy. And I had to install the whole thing myself. And it took me, you know, it was like a, it was like a three-day job. And when you start adding up these three-day jobs or four-day jobs or two-day jobs, keeping this clean, changing the oil in your generator, changing the oil in your engine, okay, keeping your refrigeration up to snuff, you know, there's a lot of stuff to do. And this is the thing about it. you need the energy to do chartering. Now, why I got to a point after so many years of chartering, when I pretty much had it all down to a science, I ran out of charm. I just said, I can't do this anymore. I don't like any of these people. I understand it's the time of their life, and I'm trying to do the best I can. But I just ran out of gas. I ran out of gas. My boat got old. They wrote, I couldn't get the price that I wanted because of a variety of things. My boat was too small. There were mom and pops. And here's, this is the competition. Let's just go over competition real fast. Okay, you got mom and pops, all right? They got their social security. They got their pension. They got, they got money coming in. And they want to charter just so they can have people come to their boat. Just for the, just for the company. So they, they charge ridiculously low price. They're literally subsidizing the charter. And they're small boats. They run it. Mom and pop run it. And it's not, you, they kill the market at the bottom end of smaller boats. Right? I mean, even, even 50-foot boats. Mom and pop can run a 55-foot 50, boat, 60-foot boat easily. Okay? And they're not, they're not looking to... You know, if it comes between you and someone else, and they're a mom and pop, um, they're not they're not going to tack on an extra three four thousand dollars to the price of the charter, right? Because they don't have a business to run; they're doing it for their own personal entertainment, for friendships. So there's that, which makes the business kind of weird in that sense. There's also the thing: it's the charter brokers are the ones who are actually kind of running the show it's the salespeople setting prices for you okay it's not you saying i have x boat i want to charge forty five thousand dollars a week on this boat because this other boat mirabella or whatever charges that much money and the charter brokers say no i can't i can't charter your boat for that because you know theirs is a newer boat and yours is two years young two years older and you got no you got no choice because they want to just book a charter. They, they want the, the whole thing to come in. They're very friendly. They want the whole thing to come in. They don't want any problems whatsoever. And trust me, the problems, the emotional stuff that happens on a boat in a week is unbelievable. It's, it's, a, it's a cauldron. It's a bubbling mess of humanity. Some people are really cool about it. You know, some people are just a lot of fun to be with. They have a good time. They know their limits. And limits are one of the most important things to learn as a charter boat captain. So these limits, 
is, and I'll go back over them. First of all, buying the right kind of boat, the right size boat, figuring out what the right prices you can charge, see if you can make a profit on those. Finding the right crew, which is a whole nother podcast. And then there's all the things for maintenance, repair, the toys, what people want. Um, some, some stuff you could rent if it's kind of weird. You could rent it. It's kind of cool. Um, kayaks, for example, you could rent those in the Caribbean now almost anywhere. Um, paddle boards, the same thing. So you don't have to keep them on your boat 24, you know, all the time. You can, you can get them just for the charter. Um, so there's a whole maintenance thing. There's the whole crew thing. There's the whole charter boat, um, broker deal. And then you have the competition. So in the competition, you get the mom and pops who are not trying to make any money, who basically are screwing you out of that kind of bread and butter little, you know, couples, which I always found couples were kind of cool. Um, Because if they were a cool couple, it was just like two couples having a great fun sailing. And um, I met my agent, by the way, that way. And then you have the next level, which is uh, people doing like professional kind of charter things, okay? But they're a little bit more casual than, say, a formal larger boat, which would can be very, very formal, okay? And that the captain and the crew have to play by ear, you know? Are these people going to be silver service kind of thing? You'll know this before you come. They come to the boat, or are they just going to be just some you know regular regular folks who, you know, don't mind not having a shrimp fork? Okay. So there's all these little things you have to look into. So then you get into the not only the the the, the chef, you know, finding a skilled person to cook. Let me tell you this, that today, um, these kids that come to, to chef for you are very skilled. Um, they know how to cook, um, and they can cook in a kitchen. Whether they can cook on a boat is a totally different animal, because cooking on a boat is hard. If you're on a big mega yacht, it's the same, no big deal. But if you're on a 80, 70, 50-foot boat, and you have to cook a meal underway, good luck. Okay. You have to feed people high-quality shit. You have to be able to find high-quality shit. You have to be able to know wherever your cruising zone is, where the food is and what kind of food you can get. Okay? And then you're going to have to make your menu. And then the guest is going to come with their own menu preferences. Okay? And that's, that's a different, it's a whole different thing on how you end up sorting through what they want, what you can get, and how much it's all going to cost. So you got to be a pretty good, you know, heads up accountant in your own brain matter. So chartering, a lot has to do with the boat. A lot has to do with the nut the insurance, it has to do with whether you can afford to sit at the dock or sit at anchor, um, the kinds of repairs, the kinds of um, extras that you buy at the ship store, uh, the channelery, um, anchors, anchor chain, which, by the way, is another thing which is if you're using, will never, will never wear out. Your windlass will wear out before your chain. When you see all these nasty-looking chains, it's because they've just been sitting in the air oxidizing. But for the most part, if you're just using chain in and out, they stay fairly clean. And then there's all the other stuff, you know. There's the other stuff. There's the the fuel, um, fuel for the big boat, fuel for the little boat, um, oil. Another big problem: what to do with it, where to put it, what you, you take it out, all these kinds of things. So this is just a little taste of what the charter thing is about. So if you're thinking about, oh, I can I could run a charter boat myself, do a little self-evaluation. First of all, do people like you? You gotta be honest. Do people like you? Because nobody wants to go on a charter with with somebody they don't like or who is unlikable. 
There are charter boat captains that are like that. But, you know, can you tell a good story? Because that's expected for you to tell a good story. There's a lot of things that you need to do about yourself that no other job will be like, okay? How hard of a worker are you, okay? Do you drink too much? Can you drink? You know, it's you're running a party. That's it. You're running a party. How amenable are you to helping people out? Can your chef cook underway? Can your chef cook? Can people, you know, is she, is she good with uh, kids? Are you good with kids? Personally, I didn't like kids. They liked me. So we did a whole Captain Ron scenario with the kids, and they loved it. Okay? There's a lot of things you can, you can do, and you have to watch yourself. You have to be able, I should say, you have to be able to watch yourself and how you speak to people through any kind of situation. And I will tell you this. I'll tell you one small story. I'll do more charter, charter stories uh, later because I have quite a few of those. I had a couple. Uh, he worked uh, for the government. And he was a um, very nice man. And his wife, uh, she worked for the government as well. And both of them hated their job, but they couldn't quit. Um, he was a highly skilled accountant, forensic accountant for the Treasury Department. A nice, super, super nice guy. They had a daughter who was very, very ill and required lots of medical care. And for the first time in 16 years, they decided to charter a boat because he had dreamed of sailing because his father-in-law was a sailor at one time and sailing was a big deal. But he couldn't, they couldn't leave their child because their child needed like 24-hour care. But they, they couldn't spend any money on anything because they couldn't leave their job. He could have made tons more money um, working for a law firm or another accounting firm, but he couldn't leave the government because her insurance was with the government. And if she left, then, then her insurance, she, would, she couldn't get insurance, and, and they would be bankrupt. And they were nearly bankrupt. So the father-in-law gave them some money. They said, here, here, go, take a, go have a vacation. They'll be good for you. Well, they decided to charter a boat, which the father-in-law was really quite upset about. But they decided to charter a boat. And they chartered my boat. And they were a lovely couple. Really nice. He was so humble and he was so grateful. I've never seen a single person as grateful as this man was to be out with his wife. They loved each other. They had a lot of stress in their lives. They loved their child who was doing well enough for them to leave for a week. It was a big deal. And here they go on this boat. And what would happen on this boat is the frickin' weather would change all around. We had the worst weather of any charter in the Caribbean that I have ever had in my life. I'm not talking a hurricane. I'm talking a real solid cold front that reversed the winds of the earth and created so much chop and created so much rain it was the most unpleasant time to be on a boat in the Caribbean you could possibly imagine. Every place that we would normally anchor and have a nice smooth anchorage was rolling with swell and ups and downs and all over and this, that, and other thing. He got sick, but he wasn't going to give up. She was fine. She sat downstairs and played cards. She was happy as a clam. She didn't get seasick. But we made it through the entire week. And coming back into St. Thomas after this week, we had a couple of bright spots. We went swimming a few times. And they weren't really athletic or not real athletic swimmers, whatever. But they had a great time. I towed them both around on a, um, an air mattress to go snorkeling because they were afraid to snorkel. So they could just stick their head down in the water and, and see the fish from above. And um, even that was hard for them to do. But they had such a great time. Even It was even great for them 
better for them that there was all this nasty weather that I had to sail through. It was like nuts. And we finally got into St. Thomas in a driving rainstorm. I mean, driving rainstorm. We went in, we got to the dock, and the first thing he says to me, he says, we would love to take you out to dinner tonight. And they did. They took us to a really nice restaurant. We all had dinner, and they were so thankful. And I know in their heart and their mind, today, so many years after this happened, that that was the most important and singularly most important week of their lives. They talk constantly. They write me letters about how about those waves and the weather and all the rest, and we did it, and we're real sailors, and we're all this kind of stuff. So you have to be prepared as a captain to provide the sort of emotional context for people to really see what's going on because there's an evolution that's going to occur. And next week, I'm going to talk about some of the emotional some of the stories, some of the interesting things about not just sailing as a charter boat captain, but the sort of the dynamics of what happens on a charter boat over the many years that I've done it. But for today, if you're going to think about doing a charter boat captain, find yourself a really good boat and don't be afraid to go big. Thanks. Thank you again for listening. Uh, find more great episodes on offshoreexplore.org, our new website. Um, please like and share. We greatly appreciate it. Like to have some feedback as well. So uh, if you want to leave us a message, we'd be happy to uh, answer it. And any kind of questions you have about the things that I've brought up uh, over the past, please feel free to ask about them. Appreciate it. Thanks. Good sailing. Thank you.